want to say it's good to be back with you this afternoon. We're glad that you're here. Hopefully we have something to say that you might find a little bit interesting and maybe useful as you go along life's way. I want you to know that I appreciate the hospitality, the lunch. Enjoyed it very much and I hope you did. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I know after you've had a big lunch and, and you're in here in the cool of the climate control building, it's hard to stay awake. I don't mind you sleeping as long as you'll put up a little bit of a fight first. I would appreciate that. But uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, out of John chapter 8. And this is the story of the adulterous woman. And I'm going to be honest with you. I went through the sermons that I've kept over the years. And I've been doing this for over 50 years. And I've never, had a, I've never preached a sermon on this. Now I've used bits and pieces of it. And I've heard sermons on it, many of them on it. But I've never actually engaged in it myself and look and see what's really going on. Now this is the famous passage where Jesus says, Let him that is without sin cast the first stone. And I believe that passage has been abused and misused over the years. And normally the way that passage is used, it's used to mean, Look, I know what I'm doing is sinful. I know what I'm doing is wrong. But you're a sinner too, so leave me alone and let me do my thing. And I don't think that's what the Lord had in mind at all for this passage. And so I want to look at some of the things, and there's some contrast here uh, between the Lord and the people that he's dealing with. He's going to deal with the Pharisees. He's going to deal with the woman that was taken in the act of adultery. And there is a contrast between the Lord and these people that, that he deals with. In John 8 and 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman, taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground, as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto him, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground, and they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was standing alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? And she said unto him, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way, or go, and sin no more. This is the story of the woman that was taken in the very act of adultery. And they brought her to Jesus. And I'm not trying to make a pun out of this, but they found a way they could kill two birds with one stone. They could kill this woman that was taken in the very act of adultery. And they knew what Moses said about that. But they could also bring down Jesus whom they envied and despised because the people came to be taught of him and they came in droves to hear this teacher. The scriptures tell us they hadn't heard it like this before. He taught them as one having authority and no doubt he did have authority to teach them. So they brought this woman to him, taken in the very act. Moses said, Stoner, what do you say? The first contrast I want, I want to draw is this. They didn't care about that woman's soul. The scribes and the Pharisees wasn't trying to save her. They didn't care whether she lived or died. To them, she was beneath them. 
And they didn't care about her soul at all. Now you contrast that to Jesus. I got to thinking about this. Not only did Jesus love this woman and her soul and cared about her soul, but he cared about the Pharisee's soul. He cared about the soul of those scribes as well. You know, if you look at the group of men that hung out with Jesus, they were quite a very different group of men. One of them was a tax collector. Matthew, Levi, was a tax collector. He wrote what we call the first gospel. I don't know if it is in the order of age of the writing, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was a publican, and he wrote the first gospel in the New Testament, as it appears. You know, the publican had his own category. There was the sinners, the harlots, and the publicans. Matthew had to improve two levels to be your run-of-the-mill sinner. And they despised those, those publicans. But Jesus chose one of them to be, a, be an apostle. You know, he hung out with some guys that were up. I always wondered why Peter had the sword and not Simon Zelotes. I always wondered why Simon wasn't the one bearing that sword instead of Peter. Simon the zealot. He was a zealot. And normally among the zealots, they wanted to get rid of the Romans any way they could. And they could do it by persuasion or they would do it by force. And it really didn't matter. I wonder what Simon had been involved in as a zealot. You can only imagine when you look at what the other zealots were doing of the time period. But Jesus chose him to be an apostle. When Jesus died on the cross, there were two men that come and begged Pilate for the body of Jesus. One was a man by the name of Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, just like these guys, a ruler of the Jews. There was another fellow that was a ruler among them by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, and he did not consent to Jesus being put to death like the others had. But the Pharisees killed him. And yet Jesus had these two that were friends of his and followers of his. Jesus cares about souls, folks. Jesus is in the soul-saving business. Now the scriptures tell us in Matthew chapter 12, it's enough for the disciple to be as his Lord. The servant is his master. Do we care about souls? Are there people beneath us? Are there those that, you know, if we knew what manner of person that was, wouldn't even let them touch you? Now I want to tell you something. Let him that is without sin cast the first stone. You be real careful saying that to my brethren. Some of them will chunk it. I guarantee it. Are there those we just don't want to, I mean, we're too good? Or do we care about every soul? Jesus cared about all these souls. And when he went to see Zacchaeus, another publican, he seems to hang out with these guys a lot. But he went to see Zacchaeus in Luke 19, verse number 10. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. And if that's what our Savior is about, that's what we need to be about. We need to be in the soul-saving business. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 16, You take heed to yourself. You continue in the doctrine, for in so doing, you'll both save yourself and them that hear thee. See, the number one thing is, am I saved? I need to make sure of my salvation before I try to convince you of yours. But Paul told Timothy, you take heed to yourself and the doctrine, continue in them. You'll save yourself and them that hear thee. 
Are we in the soul-saving business, folks? Are the souls of men important to us? Are those there that are beneath us? Jesus was known as a friend of sinners. I had somebody tell me one time at Gunner, we had a reputation in our town. And in a little town like that, it, you don't want a bad reputation, I guarantee you that. And I asked, I said, what's our reputation? And they go, everybody knows if you have problems, this is a place to come to church. Really? <laughs> Bingo, boys, we finally made it. Hallelujah, we're the friends of sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save that lost. And it didn't matter if it was a publican, if it was a Pharisee, or a zealot, or a fisherman, or an upstanding citizen. He come to save them. Now when you get to Romans chapter 5, you really get the contrast between Jesus and what these Pharisees were doing with this woman. You see, in, in, in Romans 5, it says that for a righteous man, some would peradventure to die. For a good man, some would die. But verse 8 is the key. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Over 40 years ago, I heard a fellow talk about Romans 5 and 8. And he explained it just about as well as I've ever heard it explained, folks. He said, you know what? If my wife needs a kidney, she's got it. I'm going to give it to her. If one of my sons, he had two sons, if one of my sons needs a kidney, they've got it. I'm going to give it to them. If one of you brethren need a kidney, I'll pray for you. You see, for family or right, some good people, we might dare to die. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because every soul was important to Jesus. Now, folks, there's things that people have a lot of. There's some people got a lot of money. There's some people got a lot of cars. Some people got a lot of property. Some have a lot of clothes. But every single one of us have got one thing only. And you're not going to get another one. And that's a soul. You have one soul. And everybody you know and everybody we come in contact with has one soul. And if they lose that, they lose everything. And that's the contrast between Jesus and these guys. They didn't really care about that woman. They wanted, they wanted to kill her, but they also wanted to bring Jesus down as well. That was their motivation for bringing her to the Lord, not to save her soul. I hope that we are friends of sinners. And I hope that we care about each and every soul. Because every soul is precious and important. The Pharisees used scriptures, folks. Do you know that? They came to Jesus and they said, Moses commanded it. They knew the law of Moses. If you knew what Moses wanted you to do, why are you, why are you doing this with Jesus? To tempt him and try to bring him down? You've got to be careful because sometimes even the Pharisees, they quoted scripture. I want to remind you that in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was confronted by Satan and the temptation in the wilderness, the devil over and over again quoted scripture to him. Didn't make him right, did it? And Jesus quoted scripture back to him. Because somebody quotes scripture to you, you need to really take a look at things and take a look at what's going on. In 2 Peter chapter 3, in 2 Peter chapter 3, 
Peter talks about this a little bit. Verse 15. An account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, epistles speaking in them those things which are for are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. He said there's a group of people that take the words of Paul and they rest those scriptures. And they take them out of context or they misuse them. Now when he said the things that are hard to understood, I think he meant under, hard to understand by people that don't want to accept it. But I'm going to tell you, there's lots of people out here who can quote scripture to you. You need to be careful that they're quoting the scriptures to you properly. And that is why the verse about let him that is without sin cast the first stone is important. Now, during our Bible studies, I like to ask the question. The Bible says beware of false prophets that come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravening wolves. I ask people, do you believe that verse? Do you believe there's wolves and sheep clothing out there, false prophets? And they go, oh yeah, we believe there's false prophets out there. And then here comes the kicker. Name one. And now it gets real quiet and hurry, don't it? Because see, if somebody's quoting the Bible, they must be okay, right? In the book of Galatians, Paul was marveled that they were so soon removed from him that had called them into the gospel. And some were preaching another gospel, which is not another gospel. But they pervert the gospel of Christ. You believe that? You've got to be careful. The devil knows how to quote scripture, folks. We need to know what the scriptures say so that we'll know whether somebody's telling us the truth or telling us a lie. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's a lot of people that have a piece of paper on the wall that have a lot of letters behind their name. I'm going to tell you something. I had a piece of paper for a while that I hung on the wall, and I was proud of it. And it was a license to preach the gospel. And I went before a board of very elderly, distinguished gentlemen, and I preached a sermon. And they gave me a piece of paper that said, Marlon Cole has been called by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I like that. I hung that on the wall. I was proud of that. And then all of a sudden, I found out that I was not following the scriptures the way Jesus wanted me to. And I began to tell these guys about what the scriptures say. You know what happened? They took my license away from me. <laughs> what happened to the Holy Spirit called him to preach? That's like firing Moses, isn't it? Well, they tried to do that too. You can read that in the scriptures. Since then, uh, I'm not licensed to preach anymore. I'm kind of bootlegging the word to you here, so to speak. I'm outside the, the grace of those good folks. But folks, we quoted scripture. They quoted scripture. But I didn't know how to apply some of these scriptures. And when I figured that out, I thought everybody would just be marveled and they would just think, this is wonderful. But it didn't work that way, did it? And you knew I was, I was very young and very naive at the time of how that was going to work. So we've got to be very careful because even the devil can quote scripture. 
He that is without sin cast the first stone. That almost sounds like we can't talk to each other when somebody's got a problem. Doesn't it? If I tell you, hey, that's a sin, you go, hey, buddy, you're a sinner too. Leave me alone. And that means since I can't cast the first stone, i got to just let you go and do whatever you want to do. What are we going to do with Galatians 6 and 1? Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, I really think when he says ye that are spiritual there, he's talking about spiritually minded people, not perfect people. But if a brother is overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, you restore him. You help him. I thought, I, I thought I, that would be cast in the first stone, wouldn't it? But see, the key is in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I need to treat you the way I would want you to treat me in that situation. Do we do that? But we are commanded in that particular verse by the Apostle Paul to help somebody that's overtaken their fault. Now, here's the deal. The church and the elders don't get involved every time somebody commits a sin. Man, you'd be way too busy if you did that. It says overtaken. When something's going to take somebody away, that's when the church gets involved. Now, if you go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe it is, you're going to find that as you start to read, there is a man there that had his father's wife. The Bible says that they gloried in it. Now, I, don't, I, I have a hard time believing that they would stand around and high-five each other because, hey, he's got his father's wife. <laughs> Way to go, buddy. I don't, but you know what they did? They didn't do anything about it. They weren't doing nothing about it. And Paul said, you deliver such a one to Satan that you might can save his soul. Deliver, withdraw yourself from that person. Now, wait a minute. This is a, this is a sin of adultery or fornication or whatever you want to call it. And we're withdrawing from it. Aren't we casting the first stone? But yet the apostle commanded the church to do that. He goes down and gives you a whole list. He says, you let God judge them that are without. He said, I'm not talking about dealing with the world this way. But if a brother is, uh, someone called a brother is, and he lists all these things. He said, don't keep company with him. Now, what's the purpose of it? The purpose was to save the soul. If you read in 2 Corinthians, you'll find that this guy wanted to repent. And Paul said, you let him repent and you accept him back. You see, that was the difference. The Pharisees, they didn't care whether she repented or not. They're just going to kill her. And the Lord dealt with those that were pretty high-minded. They weren't doing it in the spirit of meekness. Paul the, Paul, the Lord, he even spoke to them that trusted in themselves that they were righteous. But folks, we're supposed to help each other when we have a problem. And the church is not just to ignore a problem. But yet Jesus said, he that is without sin cast the first stone. It was the attitude they were approaching this with was what was wrong. It was the way they were looking at it. Now, the Lord didn't leave the Pharisees out. I want you to know that. In Matthew chapter 23, they got their own chapter. They got a whole chapter dealing with the way they did things. You know what Jesus said about those guys? 
He said, whatsoever they bid you do, do. You know why? They were quoting scripture. They knew the Bible. They knew the scriptures. But he said, they say and do not. In other words, they know what to do. They just won't do it. The Lord is accepting of anybody that wants to repent. The Lord is accepting of anybody that wants to change their life. We need to be those kind of people. We need to go in the spirit of meekness considering ourselves lest we be tempted. Because sooner or later it may be me in that situation. And how do I want you to deal with me? The way the Pharisees dealt with this woman? Of course not. In the spirit of meekness considering ourselves lest we also be tempted. I got another one for you. Because of their conscience, they walked away. Now I'm glad somebody in that group had a conscience. It's really nice to have a conscience. And because of their own conscience convicting them, they turned and they walked away. You know, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4, when you get to the first two verses there, it talks about people that have had their conscience seared with a hot iron. In other words, their conscience didn't bother them anymore. And let me tell you how this thing's going to work, okay? The first time somebody hears the gospel and they know they need to obey the gospel and they need to make a change, and they don't do it, it bothers them. That's what Acts 2.37 was talking about. They were pricked in their heart. Second time, it's not quite as hard. Third time, it's easier. And then after a good while, it don't bother them at all. Don't get in that position, folks. Don't get yourself in a position that your heart becomes hardened and your conscience doesn't bother you anymore. We want to be like those guys in Acts 2.37. They were pricked in their heart. Their conscience bothered them. And they said to Peter and the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And you know, when Peter told them what to do, that's exactly what they did. They obeyed the gospel. Now in this group of Pharisees, somebody had a conscience. And he dropped the rock. And it said, From the eldest down to the least. And that's the attitude they should have had to start with. Now I want to give you something else, a contrast here. I've contrasted the Lord and the Pharisees. I want to contrast the Lord and the woman taken in adultery. Jesus didn't say you're okay. Jesus did not say what you're doing is all right. I want you to know Jesus called it sin. He even tells her, go and sin no more. Jesus didn't say your lifestyle, whatever you decide to do, is just okay, and I'm not going to condemn you, I'm going to save you. He called what she was doing sin. Adultery is a sin, and Jesus called it what it was. If you read the words of Jesus, he hung out with sinners, folks, but he never condoned the sin. He did not approve of every lifestyle that was going on back then. And he won't now either. So he called what she was doing sin. We don't hear that a lot about this story, do we? We just hear the part about let him without sin cast the first stone. But then Jesus turns his attention to her. Woman, where are thine accusers if no man condemn thee? Neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way and go and sin no more. But he called what she was doing sin. It's not okay, folks. 
It's not okay. Every lifestyle is not pleasing to God. God didn't say, I'm, Jesus didn't say, I'm not going to condemn you. Go ahead and have an affair. He said, quit it. Sin no more. Every time Jesus dealt with sinners, he called it sin. And Jesus never approved of the sin that anybody was committing. He didn't approve of the sin of the heart that the Pharisees were committing. He did not approve the sins of the flesh that the woman is committing. And I want you to know, every one of us are going to fall into one of those two categories. Elders deal with those two kinds of people. If you read the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, the prodigal had sins of the flesh. He had a problem. But when he got back home and the father accepted him in, now we got to deal with the big brother. And his sins was of the heart. Which one's more dangerous? Jesus called sin, sin. And he did not approve of this woman's lifestyle. He did not approve of what she was doing. And he didn't say, it's okay, don't worry about it. He said, go and sin no more. Now let me ask you a question. If Jesus looked at this woman taken in the very act of adultery and he called what she was doing sin and he said to her go and sin no more what do you think he would say to me and you? Oh it's okay. Don't worry about it. Or would he say go and sin no more? Basically he's telling her to repent. That's what he's telling her. Would he tell us to repent? Or do we think he's going to look at us and just say, hey, it's okay, go ahead, just do whatever you want to do. Go and sin no more. Jesus finally at the end of this, he says, neither do I condemn thee. And that was very important. Now the Pharisees couldn't forgive her sin, but Jesus could. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. After he told her to go, then he told her to go and sin no more. That was a time that Jesus and the apostles, I think it was James and John, they went into a certain village. And that village would not receive them. And it just toasted the apostles. It made John and James mad. And they came out to Jesus and they said, Lord, let's call down fire and brimstone from heaven and let's just burn them to the ground. You know, that's kind of the attitude I would have. I'll tell you what, let's do, Lord. I know you can do it. Burn these guys to the ground. We'll kill them all and let God sort the dead. Kind of the way we think, isn't it? But you know what Jesus said? He said, you don't know what you're asking. He said, the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. I just think it's interesting that the Lord started off in the soul-saving business in, this, in these verses, and he ends in the soul-saving business in these verses. Jesus was not to destroy men's lives. Jesus was to save their lives. And he's talking spiritually too. Now in John 10, he said, I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, and you don't gotta wait till you're dead to get it. Jesus will give abundant life to anybody that wants it and seeks it and then eternal life when we stand before God our Lord has not come to condemn us but to save us 
If we will humble ourselves under his mighty hand, he will exalt us in due time. If we can help you, won't you come as we stand and sing?